Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen. Be seated in the grace of the Lord. And open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 26, almost to the very end, as we find Paul this morning defending himself. He's in chains and waiting for transit to Rome, and he has an opportunity to defend himself before King Agrippa. And in that opportunity, we find our fifth sermon this morning in the book of Acts as we've studied the sermons of Peter and Paul. Acts 26, verses 1 through 18. Now hear the word of the Lord. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise. Our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of those journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests about noon, King Agrippa. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
I will rescue you, says Jesus. I will rescue you. We have studied the way of life found in Jesus presented by Peter and Paul in their sermons in Acts. Now, this is the fifth sermon that we've studied. We had two from Peter, three from Paul. And next week, we'll finish the series. The, the way is, is Jesus, the way of life, in our, in our final sermon. But today, I want to focus on these last few verses we read, verses 15 to 17. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. I will rescue you, says Jesus. From what? From your own people and from the Gentiles. I'll rescue you from your own past, from your own pain and regrets. I will rescue you. I want to make the point this morning that Jesus actually rescues us from religion. That when Jesus said to Paul, I will rescue you from your own people, he was talking about rescuing Paul from a system of religion that had ruined his life. Great theologian Karl Barth famously said, Jesus Christ came to abolish religion. And we think, wait, what? Jesus established one of the world's great religions. Our favorite one, right? Christianity. <laughs> what did he mean? Well, it depends what you mean by religion. What, what I mean by religion is a pattern of activity that we use to try to impress God. Jesus rescues us from that. He rescues us from religion into relationship. And that is the way of life. My dad took my brothers and I on a once-in-a-lifetime trip in July to celebrate his birthday fly fishing in Alaska. And not just fly fishing, but hella fishing. Every morning we got up and, and we ate breakfast and then we climbed into these helicopters where we were flown to remote rivers in Alaska to fish with our guides. It was awesome. I'm spoiled for fishing. I'm scared to go fishing again because it was so good. I, one morning I climbed into the, the helicopter, on the, sat on the bench seat next to the pilot, and he was fiddling with his seatbelt. He wasn't satisfied with it, but he took off, and then he kept fiddling with it, and eventually he leaned over to me in mid-flight, and he said, hold this, <laughs> meaning the stick that flies the helicopter. So obediently I reached over and I held that, but I said in my headset, you know I'm not a helicopter pilot. And he said, well, now you are. <laughs> and I have to admit, my first thought was, yeah, now I am. I'm flying a helicopter. But then as that little thing moved a little bit, I had a second thought. No, I'm not. You're wrong. 
and no amount of me holding this thing and hoping I don't kill us all makes me a helicopter pilot. And I was reminded that we do what we are. We do what we do because we are what we are, and I am not a helicopter pilot. Paul remembers being religious. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Paul, you see, back when he was Saul, he he loved God and loved his religion, and he wanted to please God and impress his religious leaders, and he did all he could to match every religious expectation. It was a religion. I'm going to work hard, do my best, and impress God, and then he will bless me. Paul wanted so badly to impress God, and it was in his zeal to be religious that he did the things he regrets the most. Openly in the speech, openly, although we can only imagine how painful it was for him to recount, he tells the story, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did. He says, I had them thrown into prison. I tricked them into speaking blasphemy so I could convict them. I pulled them out of their homes and even had some of them put to death. We forget sometimes, don't we, that Paul, that Paul is Saul, that he still is. He's that same man. He is the man. And he is forever the same man who stood there and watched and even supervised as as Stephen, the young Christian, was stoned to death at his feet. And Paul remembers that. He remembers that. That kind of religion that's no way of life. Pastor Andy Stanley uh, does a great job with this moment where Saul gets saved he, he says that, just imagine the Trinity kind of talking to one another. The Father says to Jesus, hey, look at that guy, Saul. Now, that's a real go-getter. We could use a guy like that on our team. And Jesus says to the Father, you mean Saul? Saul the terrorist? And the Father says, well, yeah, but look at all that energy. He's, he's really, you know, activated. We could bring him on our team. Holy Spirit, could you do something about this? And the Holy Spirit says, sure, Father. I'll, I'll, I will go down and I'll knock him off his horse. I'll strike him blind. That'll get his attention. We'll have him on our team in no time. Please don't take that as a window into the eternal and divine decrees of God. <laughs> but I think, it, I think it tells a story. Saul was not too far. He was not too far down the road, too far away. He was not out of the reach of the grace of God to grab him and to turn him around. 
and all of his confused, uh, his confused motives, all of his misunderstood and misapplied gifts, God could grab all of those and turn them around and use them to build his kingdom. Saul was not out of the range of God's grace, and that's hope for you and me. Wherever we are, God can use us. He can grab us and turn us around. But God had to grab him and put a halt to all his religious behavior he was using to try to impress God. He had to rescue him from that and set him free. The sad thing is that even Christianity can be taken as a religion like that. Some get the idea that, and maybe you have this idea, that meeting Jesus is just the entry point, and then you have to impress God to try to earn your stripes. Kind of like when you have that open door opportunity, and you're going to meet uh, the CEO, you're going to meet the general, and you think, well, I've got to take advantage of this opportunity. I have a foot in the door. I've got to say something perfect. And then you walk in and jam your foot right in, the, right in your mouth. Is that the way of life found in Jesus? Is that, what, is that what the way of life of Jesus is all about, a chance to impress God? Friends, hear me now. Jesus did not come to improve your religious behavior that you've been using to justify yourself or try to earn the love of God. Jesus didn't come to improve your religious behavior. He came to rescue you from it. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He said, this is like nothing you've ever seen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. It's a radical, complete transformation. New creation. Jesus didn't say, I've come to help you finish your religious project. He said, I will rescue you. Stop putting your faith in your performance, your religious acts, your works, your holiness, and start counting on me and what I have done for you. Count on my righteousness, not yours. Put your faith in me, and my righteousness will come over you. Your righteousness, which, no, by the way, no matter how, you, how hard you try, will never match the level of holiness. Your righteousness becomes irrelevant. And by faith in me, your life, says Jesus, is hidden in my life. Your soul is hidden in my righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is credited to you for your salvation. When you stop being religious and you start a relationship with Jesus. So at this point you ask, uh, well, then Jesus, why, I mean, pastor, excuse me, why am I here? Why go to church? Why do this religious stuff? Why did I go out yesterday and, and get all these, uh, these sore muscles and, and blisters? I mean, I've got blisters. Why would I go out and do these things? Why would I go out and serve the city? Why do anything at all if it's all just about a relationship? Well, that's a good question, and let me, let me tell you why. 
See, there used to be a, a doctrine of salvation that said something like this. It said, faith plus works equals salvation. But that's not right. That's not right at all. No, Jesus says, I will what? I will rescue you. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is not that your relationship with Christ is an opportunity to impress God. It's that Christ has rescued you, has saved you, not on the basis of your merits or your deeds or your performance, but by your faith and trust and belief in Jesus. That's all God wants. That's all he requires of you. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then you have been saved, you see? Past perfect tense. It's done. It's finished. There's no question about salvation. But you know what? You've not been saved for nothing. You've been saved to be sent. You've been saved to be used. And so the next verse in Ephesians is verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's not faith plus works equals salvation, but faith equals salvation plus works. First you have to be, and then you can do. You see that? We do what we are. First the belief, and then the behavior. First the salvation, and then the sending out. First the transformation, and then the activation. You do what you are. Jesus said, I will rescue you. And then he said, I am sending you. You do what you are. Are you saved? Then you can be a vehicle for salvation. Amen. So take the, take the butterfly, right? The butterfly, a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. No longer a little worm. The old is gone. The new has come. You do what you are. First believe and then behave. The caterpillar is transformed. Well, imagine for a minute a caterpillar who wants to live the life of the butterfly. It loves those butterflies. It sees them flying around. They're so beautiful. I want to be a butterfly like that. I want to live that kind of a life. I want to make that kind of a difference. But imagine that it is unwilling to go through the transformation, the death, and the resurrection of the cocoon. This is the frustration of, of someone wanting to do good in this world without God. I'm not saying it's impossible for a good deed ever to be done by any but a Christian, but there's a frustration there when you're trying to do good without God. And you know, I could spend my whole life doing good only to find on the very last day that everything that I had been doing wasn't for good. It was actually for, for bad. Because what is good? The kingdom of God is built by faithful obedience. The kingdom of God is where God is the king and we are his happy subjects. But how can you obey the voice of a king you've never heard? 
How can you serve a king you've never knelt down before? Now, of course, uh, non-Christians can do good deeds. It would be foolish to claim otherwise. But friends, the eternal bricks of the kingdom of God are laid one by one in the faithful obedience of those who love and serve the king, Jesus Christ. You must first be saved, and then you can be a servant. You do what you are. First believe, and then behave. But take the other side. What about uh, the other problem? Imagine this. Imagine the butterfly who wants to keep acting like the worm. Imagine the butterfly that wants to, to crawl around under the mildewed and rotten leaves. Can you see it? What a strange little creature that is. A butterfly that refuses to bat its wings even once. A butterfly that crawls around in the mud, keeping all of its beautiful colors all smeared over. Friends, that's the frightening challenge, isn't it? Ugh! That we've been transformed and will not be used. If you have been saved, it is in order to do the things a saved child of God does. Not religious performance, but religion is a life-giving pattern of habits and loves and devotions growing out of your ever-increasing desire to see the glory and fame of the name of Jesus, your Savior, lifted high. You're not bound to act, to impress. You're free to serve, to glorify. That's the freedom of a Christian and that's the motivation that brings your, makes you want to bring your soul to worship week by week, to be transformed by the living and active Word of God. That's the impetus that makes you want to put on the colors of your king and take a Saturday and go out and bless the city until you are sore and dirty and tired. And that's too is the motivation, by the way, to carry home a commitment card today and to pray through the week and to gather around your kitchen table with your Bible open and ask of the Lord, what would you have me do with my money? And then come next week with a commitment to the Lord in that area that sits so close to our hearts, our finances, and joyfully lay that down. It isn't to impress God. It isn't to gain his love or pleasure. God loves you to the greatest measure of his love. God loves you more than I could ever explain to you or that you could ever imagine. God is pleased with you because you have trusted and hidden your life in Christ by faith. And the righteousness of his son is over you like a cloak. There's no question of salvation. There's no question of love. There's no question of gaining God's pleasure. It's a matter of joyful obedience and trust that God's way of life is better. Friends, religion won't do it. If you're coming to the Lord in any area of your life and you're trying to add weight to your side of the scale by your deeds or by your acts and you're hoping that that will lift and tilt God's side of the scale toward you, just stop it. Religion won't do you. Jesus says, I 
will rescue you. I will save you by grace. Only believe in me. I will cover your mistakes and your misdeeds, release you from the penalty of your errors. The scale is gone. Jesus says, behold, in me there is new creation. The past is gone. That's gone. The new has come. Now, now take flight in the freedom and the joy of eternal life. Let my colors fly. My banner over you is love. And you are finally free. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the freedom won by your grace. We thank you for the end of all of our trying to prove our worthiness before you. We thank you for your saving grace met in Jesus Christ. Now give us courage to receive it and give us boldness to take flight in the wings of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.